everybody, and welcome back to the Chiluminati Podcast, episode 164. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the the Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy of L.A. Whoa. Jesse and Alex. Whoa. Yeah. Ooh. Throwing out some curveballs. I'm going to be real. I know that I'm Eugene Levy. I know I know who I am. I know you what I am. You feel like you're Le- Eugene Levy and I'm Catherine O'Hara? I, I'll take wanna, that. Yeah. No, I, I mean, be I know. Yeah, you very much are. Absolutely. I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I aspire. I, if only I could be. I'm, I'm blown away. As you've never agreed with like any of my choices. Really, I mean, feels crazy. Uh, but today, yeah. the, the one of the weirder ones today. Bam! You just, just you thought it this like was weird uh, with a spoonful. Of sugar. <laughs> you thought this was weird? No. Out of all the ones I've gone through, it's like yeah, if you okay, were like the melted cheese and bacon of L.A. It's like anybody anybody wins, we lose. Or everybody <laughs> wins, <laughs> loses, we win. It's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite of alien. It's the opposite of alien versus yeah. from the uh, last episode. We're talking about cheese dreams. Uh, we were sent us a study article on Twitter that shows that that's not true. Al, like cheese has no real or di- dairy really doesn't have any any. Um, imp- like so again, influence what on, about on pizza makes me have crazy dreams. Maybe it's all in your maybe it's all in your if subconscious. I, if, maybe you associate pizza with crazy dreams. So you go to bed uh, and your brain gives you those crazy here's dreams. Thing, I can go out there and I can get an article that tells you that most of those alien sightings are F-A-K-E fake. I mean, it's true, though. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't want to end up on the conspiracy side of pizza. The dreams, truth is, but out I think there. I'm there and I'm going to let you know. I, I have evidence now that cold pizza does not equal pizza dreams, but it's not about the hot pizza bubbles your guts. If I, if I, if it's like late and I haven't eaten all day and I'm like, oh man, I'm hungry and I order pizza and that shows up and it's a nice hot pizza. And then I go to bed. I get it. Within like two or three hours of that dreams, cra- not just dreams, crazy dreams. Those little yellow cheese fumes creeping, curling into your nose. Is it the cheese? Maybe it's like the cheese sauce meat. Con- you know I'm going to get pepperoni. Could fact. it be the crust? Or do you get the same place almost every time? No, no. I, All right. If I eat pizza late, it's whatever's open. And I'm never actually <laughs> ever concerned about where I'm getting it from. Because I'm like, I just want something that isn't a burger. On Beard Bros, <laughs> on Beard Bros the other day, we were literally like, why does pizza even have crust? What? Because I thought you'd be eating... Tomato what? soup no, no, and no. cheese? No, no, no. I mean, okay. First of all, what? first of all, if we're going to be real, we have to, I have to like go back. You mean, you mean like this. outer first edge of all, crust? There's, there's two, there should be two words for the things that are crust on pizza. One is the handle and one is the, the plate, right? I'm not talking about the plate. I get it. Plate. I get it. You're talking, talking about, about the handle? handle? Yeah. So you're talking okay. about like um, the Midwest style of pizza. Where it is, yeah, like a Detroit or a Chicago style, no, or even like Detroit a Sicilian. Chicago. There's like a, uh, a very specific style that is like if you look up Donatos, yeah, from, or yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking Cassano's about. Cassano's or Marion's Pizza, like all the Midwestern Italian named places where it's flat and there is no edge and it's cut into squares. That's yeah, it's like a Sicilian. Oh no, okay, that's different. This is a this is a whole other thing. This is a bar pie. This is a this is a totally other yeah that's what I'm referring like it doesn't have it, it it's that yeah it's but that, yeah you know. right on yeah yeah a hundred percent yeah this this toppings up to the edge yes like we have we have a we have a spatula mm-hmm. you know it doesn't you don't need the handle and honestly it's just, I mean, it's, it's it's just big pizza what's fun about those is that po- the outsides away. there's a little bit of crust and that's fine but the insides are like toppings and it's a perfect square. And it's like, I don't even know how to hold this. My hands is greasy and nasty. F it. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> you can crack it in half like a little cracker probably Ooh, too. That's you know true. What I mean? But then it kind of drips in the And most middle of those things have like cracker thin crusts anyway. The crusts are always yeah. super thin on those. I'm a handle man. I like a handle on a pizza. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go out there. Give me that handle. Keep my hands clean. I'm not going to. I'm not trying to hate. It's got to. It's got to be a good. If you're going to have a handle on a pizza. It can't be like Pizza Hut, right? It can't be like garbage. I need that crust to be delicious. I need to be like an old man tossing five minutes before. Like (laughs) proofed bread. Mm -hmm. Proofed bread. Yeah, but see, you live in LA where like those kinds of options are all over the place all the time, anywhere you go. You say that, but I stand on the firm belief that while it is difficult to get many types of foods around this country, you can always find a homemade scratch ass pizza from some dude named like Sal or Vinny or like <laughs> Scaramucci. I don't even know some guy. The three, the three pizza yeah. yeah. You, I <laughs> promise you, 
you can find something in your town. There is always some, it's not Pizza Hut or Domino's or Papa John's. There's some guy named like Fat Tony who is straight up <laughs> making a pie and it looks like the rundown dump and you drive by it all the time and you're like, I don't want to go there. Telling you that's the place to go. That guy is like. And speaking of taking a chance on something that you've driven <laughs> by a million times, I was trying to head on down to patreoncom pod where you can get a big slice of our pizza pie Oof. by helping us keep our doors afloat and keeping our lights open. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's a lot of great stuff. We just launched a second show called Rotten Popcorn, where we talk over movies that you maybe probably haven't seen before i hope not. so if you're willing to broaden you know some well curated films to broaden your cinematic rock bottom if you want to like deepen your rock bottom <laughs> you want to widen your foundation yeah that's a great uh like spin on what i said uh head on over to patreon.com slash pod where you can watch a 90 minute movie uh or at least us talking about a 90 minute movie that somebody made for 500 dollars or something about sasquatch Suburban Sasquatch is a masterpiece of a man's individual vision. If you're one of those people who doesn't call in friends in Dark Souls, this is the movie watching experience for you. <laughs> let me tell you, if you let him solo her, this one, this bud's for you, <laughs> pal. I like it. Very good. Yeah, it's very nice. Patreon.com slash Pod, the website. I'm, I'm really excited to see where that phrasing ends up in like another year or so. Okay. <laughs> That said, what? <laughs> let's. What? Oh, hey, no. One last thing I want to put out there. Two things, actually. Uh, more shilling. Hey, guys, if you want more plushies, go to the yeti.com slash Illuminati and go sign up for like their little plushie newsletter. Um, we sold out of our first two runs. And if you want, if they're going to make more runs, they need to know that there is a demand for more of the plushies. While so. we're on this, also, while that Mothman plushie is fantastic, one of the best plushies I've ever seen, period. True. Give us your thoughts on what you want next. Yeah. What would you what would you want to add to the Mo with the Mothman collection? What is the what is What's the, the coolest thing you could think of? Yeah. Is it like a cute chupacabra? Is it uh, like some sort of Jersey Devil but he's eating like yeah. a meatball sub? He's like I got to license sub. the uh Yeah. Let's license the old game. Let's get a plushie of the old game. Let's license it from the publisher. Yeah, do you want do, do you want a plushie bean boy? Yeah, I would do a oh man, yeah, we got to do a plushy bean boy. Do you just should we should we do locally sourced delicious East Coast beans? Should we have a bean boy? <laughs> and he has a zipper, and in the back you can store your nugs. Just put it out there. Yeah. Oh, I love just that idea. Just put it out there. I love that he idea. He has like a little like a uh, like a union suit buttons on his butt, <laughs> yeah, and then he like pull it down. <laughs> <laughs> he stick it in his butt. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you would have to put it. Yeah. That's the only place it belongs. But fast forward 20 years, the pa the podcast is over and we've we've got like a baked bean company instead. Like that's where this is leading us all eventually. They're going to catch me at the border and I'm going to have a shootout with police because <laughs> they found my stash in my little bean boy <laughs> union suit butt flap. <laughs> but seriously, guys, we'd love We'd love to put an item in the store that when we go and we check the warehouse and see where 410 of them have gone, <laughs> that they seem to be missing. And speaking of missing 410, oh, it is time for missing 411. It's almost time for missing. We also have live show merch that we're selling now, everybody. Uh, please go buy our live show merch. When we did our live show in Austin, a little bit of the merch wasn't able to make it in transit in time. So we've been working on getting a store up for it. And there is now a store up for it that you can go buy the beanie uh, that we were going to sell as well as the T-shirt that we we're going to sell. That's at chaluminati.limitedrun.com. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm just I'm this is I'm just getting this coming over the wire. There are 410 pieces of merch in the warehouse as people are buying and they're going missing. Speaking. Thank you, Alex. What? Thank you very what? much. What time out. Time I need to know. <laughs> Why do you keep saying 410 and not 411? Because it's the next one. I'm setting them up to alley-oop it. But, the, but it feels like a weird alley-oop. Like, there's 410. And now you've had 10. 400, why did you say there's 411? Speaking of 411, we're on 411. Like, why not do that? You got, you know, you're, you're move, you're, you're giving it to the people. You know, it's time for the new. It's time it's for time. missing 411. It's time for the new. Before missing 411. it was 410. It's th you know, now it's 2000 and. 2008, 2000 and late, 3008. You know what I'm saying? Not at all. I don't actually. You've no. lost. You guys me remember completely. that song? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. From when? 
Yep. Like when I was please, young, right? Place. <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. That song that's like Laheim. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when Will I Am was an X Men? Dude, he really was. He was what X Men was he? I can't even remember. He was uh he was like one of the Nightcrawler guys. Uh yeah, teleport a, guy. He teleported onto uh Sabretooth's hands and died. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that that's how that went down. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yes, Alex, you are- Tooth, guess where he was going to be? He was like, and there, <laughs> dead. Yeah, he was alive for 410 minutes, and then he went missing. And speaking- it's me. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, uh, way back in the day, within our first year of doing this, back in 2018, in the mid-20 episodes, we did a topic called Missing 411. We did two pieces, uh, two episodes on it, and really, they were just kind of stories overall some of the missing 401 stories that have happened over the years and at the end of that series i said one day i will return to this topic because there is so much to talk about well fast forward almost five years and here we are with missing 411 kind of a, a soft reboot we'll call it like a dc soft reboot that when this is over after the next two episodes the next one is another soft reboot all the multiverses collided uh and now we're like setting out again i guess so and, and but you know yeah. in, the, in the dc way where you just cancel the movie is this our phase four is this this is our phase four exactly this is our phase wow this is our phase four yeah yeah it's, we have we have our statue that we'll never explain called the green stone We've listen got... i believe that eventually i'm going to make an episode that explains what i was talking eventually, about eventually I'm going just to like marvel eventually you'll i get believe there. yeah i believe that i will i have hope i have hope that i will <laughs> Well, before we move forward, uh, last time, like I said, it was just kind of a bunch of stories. This time, I'm going to take a different approach. It's going to be two, at least episodes, maybe three. In this first episode, we're going to talk about kind of a, a little bit of a rehash of what Missing 411 is, as well as talk about some of the stories that we didn't talk about the first time around. So for that, Jesse, just for this episode alone, I need you to open your mind, remove the skeptic pants, and throw on that believer thong. Right. Because so we're just take gonna, my pants we're off. We're just going to open our mind <laughs> gotcha. as to what this could be. Right. Okay? No, I'm ahead, of, I'm ahead next, of you. And then next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more of who this particular person is that's really created this 411, missing 411 phenomenon and David Paul Lides. We'll talk a little bit about him today. And we'll talk about what the actual scientific theories could be uh, and some of the new information that has come forward since we did our first couple of episodes in 2018, there have been two movies, and he has written a ton more books on this subject. So with that, let me just quickly clarify our sources moving forward. Um, pretty much all of our sources on this topic come from David Paul Ides, the guy who kind of created Missing 411. In that, all of his books have been used in various ways from, they're all titled Missing 411, so I'm just going to skip Missing 411 of the title because there are uh, 10 books he's written. Uh, Eastern United States, Western United States and Canada, North America and beyond. The Devil's in the Details. So wait, 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 wait. These is are all and book Canada, titles. Is and Canada its own book? No, no, no. Western United States <laughs> and Canada are all one oh, okay. book. <laughs> okay. Eastern United States is one book, though. So oh, it goes wow. Eastern United that, States, yeah. okay. Western United States and Canada, hmm. North America and beyond. The Devil's in the Details. A Sobering Coincidence. Hunters. Off the Grid. Law, Canada, Montana, with the most recent one, the Book of Montana, coming out in 2020, as well as the two documentaries, Missing 411, uh, Missing 411, which came out in 2017, and Missing 411, The Hunted, which came out in 2019. So this is like where all the Missing 411 stuff comes from. And that might be kind of uh, dubious for a lot of people out there, myself included. If you're talking about a phenomenon uh, that, you know, uh, is all coming from one individual, then you kind of really need to take everything he's saying with a grain of salt. If you don't remember what missing 411 are, they're basically missing persons cases in the in the national parks and elsewhere that David Paulides and the believers of, of missing 411 maintain and believe are unusual, mysterious, and cannot be explained in a lot of the other ways missing people in this, the parks go missing. So he rules out wildlife. He go, He rules out like hypothermia or any of the things that could cause people to walk away. Can we, if you remember. Can we, I mean, like, time out. Before yeah, we jump into this, have we explained, if you're brand new, just listening, have you explained mm -hmm. what all this is yet? What do you mean? 
Well, all what is what hypothermia? missing four one one? No, what the? That's what I'm what? doing right now. I'm rehashing what missing four one. Yeah, that's is what this episode. Right, right now, this is right. I, mean, I feel like we jumped. We jumped right in. I think. I think what Mathis is referring to is the fact that last time we got into this that was years ago by the way we yes. we i know we we kind of like we just talked stories kick, and we, we kicked a little we kicked a little beehive actually yes i don't did, know if actually. you remember this yes i, I don't do. know if you remember this yeah 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 it was one of the first episodes that did like really high numbers out of nowhere because it popped up on the missing 411 subreddit and uh to those people i hope you're listening again because we're taking this a bit of a different approach this time around i don't remember it was so long ago i don't remember the last approach we took set us up what is all this about who is missing why are they missing what's going on who is missing it's a very good question missing 411 is documented missing people's cases in national parks and elsewhere that the people who believe missing for these missing 411 stories uh, firmly stand in the camp that it is not a natural occurrence so it wasn't wildlife they didn't fall into a cave um, they didn't get hypothermia and walk away. They believe something paranormal or something strange or maybe governmental is going on behind the scenes. And that is the general basis of missing 411. And the one example I can think of from the two episodes we did way back when was remember the hunting trip that an old man went on with his son and his son went out to go grab some supplies. And the old man was sitting in the chair. And when he came back, his old, his father was gone. He couldn't see, find any tracks as to where he went. It didn't, it, he didn't take his weapon and they never were able to find him. And the big thing that people point at is that, that because the national park services in the U.S. aren't able to put forward every single missing persons or a lot of them aren't necessarily marked because so many missing people go, go missing every year in our national parks, that they must be hiding something. There must be something more happening behind the scenes. Yeah, people can't really swallow that fact that like, you're just such a statistic at that point because right. of how just the sheer volume of disappearances is just overwhelming for the size of the ranger service to like look into them all. Correct. Yeah. And we will talk more about that specifically, the statistics of missing people in the areas where a lot of these missing 411 cases go on all in the next episode when we try and break this down more. Today, again, I'd like more or less to just Kind of take in the stories and let your mind be open to the possibilities and see where these people might be coming from when they read these stories. Now, yeah. another big important thing before we move forward is David Paul Ides. While we'll talk about him much more in the next episode, just a very brief uh, overall as to who this man was. Uh, early in his career, David Paul Ides was actually... Uh, received an undergraduate and graduate degree from University of San Francisco. And in 1977, he had a 20-year career uh, in law enforcement, transferring, transferring in 1980 to the San Jose Police Department and then working in the patrol division on the SWAT team uh, and street crimes unit and a variety, a variety of other assignments. Now, this all comes from his self-written online biography posted in 2013 on his website. So you can kind of go read all about him. Um, but it seems that he has a very long history in doing investigation and working with the police. And it, he ha he did. And he was a cop. Uh, the reason he was actually let go is because he was fired. And the reason he was fired is actually kind of funny and really doesn't really speak of him as a person. Uh, in I mean, in terms of his like morals or moving forward and as an investigation. The reason that David Paul Ives was fired in 1996 was that he was uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. Um, he was soliciting celebrity autographs on city stationery. So basically he was ba kind of like forging like, hey, this oh. is official business. Can you sign this? And then he would just collect autographs from the stationery. What an unfortunate, what an unfortunate <laughs> like yeah. mark on yeah. your record to have. You can go look at the God. archived results for his his record. Um, but that's the reason he was let go from the police is because the man wanted his autograph. So I, you know what? Power to you, man. I've done worse in my life when it comes to like jobs. That's that's really funny. I uh, I very much appreciate that. Moving forward after that, though, that's when David Paul Ides finds himself in the world of, I would say, cryptozoology. His first big thing was uh, somebody approaching him to try and prove or disprove that Bigfoot was a hoax. This led to a huge search. He created a Bigfoot re researching uh, foundation called uh, the North American Bigfoot Search. And he did come across what he believes to be evidence. This was all sent off to geneticists. They got to look at a piece of blood, a piece of hair, and a bunch of other things. And the geneticists that did look at it were able to determine that there was partial human DNA in there, but there was DNA that they could not figure out what it was. And their belief 
is that it pointed to some sort of humanoid uh, branch of existence that would be Bigfoot. Maybe they, and, and a lot of things was like, maybe they braid their hair, maybe they live in colonies, this, that, and the other. But it's also important to point out that when that report did come out, other geneticists went through it and basically said it's a bunch of shit, that their uh, their research isn't well done. There's a lot of immediate assumptions, um, even though I believe they said the term uh, the DNA of angels was used as part of the research, which immediately throws <laughs> yeah. their research into bias. So it's tough if that's like, you know, that's the, the thing that, that you kind of lean on in order to prove that you got it. You know, they're kind of this weak. Is clearly Nephilim. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. But I'm not going to say whether I think it's true or not, but it seems chill. It seems like a ni- <laughs> it's a nice thought. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, he actually dope. wrote he wrote two books about Bigfoot, one in 2008 called The Hoopa Project, Bigfoot Encounters, and one in 2009 called Tribal Bigfoot. Uh, those are, you know, we're not really talking about his Bigfoot work in this, but that's where he started until eventually he moved into 2012. And that's when his missing 411 work began. And his self-admitted reason he came into this 411 world is because a, an anonymous park ranger approached him having known his work with the Bigfoot and how he got there and said, hey, there's something fishy going on with his missing people. You know, I know the inside scoop. We're not reporting everybody. There's some weird patterns going on. I want you to check it out. Who this lone ranger was, what his name was, David Paulides never ever ever clarifies in any of the books um we never really know it's just the launching off point for him doing so much research into missing 411 and he's been doing it still like he's still heavily heavily involved in doing a lot of the research uh for it as uh, as evidenced by his book released only two two years ago at this point um again more details on david paulides next episode but that gives you a general idea as to who this man is what missing 411 is and how this particular individual who really champions this stuff got himself into this world. Um, if you want any of his books, just be aware they're so expensive. They're like a hundred bucks minimum because they're just not really in print. Mm. They didn't print a ton of copies. Um, and I would suggest, you know, if you can get one from a library, which is how I got a hold of my first one um, initially, then that's your best bet. And you don't need to read them in order. You know, they're just different parts of the world where he talks about that stuff. So uh, any questions, gentlemen, raise your hands, questions, comments, concerns. Now that we've laid the foundation down for missing 411 and we go. Into- I, will, yeah. I will say if you're looking for missing 401 stuff, they're 50 ish dollars on eBay. If that makes you feel better. Oh, hey, That's eBay's the way to go. Yeah, I only looked on Amazon and stuff like that where I could get like a new copy or right, something, right, right. which is my own my own. Mistake. I wonder if the yeah, library yeah, yeah. has any or is it considered? That's not that bad. The library I got mine from was actually through one of our assistant researchers back in the day, and she was like a professional researcher mm-hmm. who had access to exclusive library that had it. So I only had a certain amount of time with it. So I don't know how easy it is otherwise. Sure. You can usually order stuff. Libraries are pretty like good about that stuff. And check your secondhand bookstores too. Absolutely. Like, you never know what you can find, like half price books or something along Man, those lines. Man, there used to be a store love... actually called half price books, wherever it's at. I know. I have, I have like two I remember near me. That, yeah. I go to them all the time. I love them where I get a lot of like, you know, if I can get my books to for research there first, that's where that's I honestly we're going to find most of this stuff. Let's be real. If you're gonna, if you're looking Dude, for things, like, you're going to find a lot yeah, of half price books. Most of my alien books I got from there and they all have awesome highlights and handwritten notes. Yeah, throughout that's all the best. Of them. It's just so I love that shit. There's a great store like that right up the street. That's like indie. I don't want to say the name of it because it will direct you directly <laughs> to my home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Don't it, do that. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Uh, um. Correct me if I'm wrong here, just because I think you jogged my memory when you said something about a pattern. Mm-hmm. I remember the big, like, dramatic reveal of this, or like one of the big, like, mm-hmm. memorable facts, I guess. I think you're going like, to talk about something that I do plan on bringing up next episode. Is it the, the cave systems? Yeah, this is just the missing people. If you overlay them with, like, government bases or something like that, you, it's there's, like. There's two things you can overlay them with, which is the government bases one, which actually you jogged my memory. I actually completely forgot that we even talked about that. This is. Missing 411 we're talking about, right? That's what Correct. that is. Yes, yeah, sir. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing, too, is when you overlay a map of known cave systems across the U.S., they line up. And if right. there's one thing I've learned over the past four years, especially on like being on TikTok more and stuff, is that caving is dangerous, first of all. And second Ooh. of all, there are so many unknown caves out there that people just find and they are sometimes really easy to just like get stuck in or get caught in and the people who go out of their way to do that stuff 
man, your balls are heavier than I could ever imagine. There are people like, okay, I gotta stop. I gotta stop filming now because I have to collapse. Like I have to breathe out all my air and I can't, I gotta squeeze through and I can't fit if I'm just going to hold my arm out in this way. So I'll, I'll be, I watched a dude like crush his way through the tiniest of passages. And I was like, no, nah, there's nothing that I would ever do that for that. Nope. Is how you die underground and the Morlocks yep. eat you. No, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Read too many horror, horror, horror stories about just dudes that are just stuck and they're going to die and they just like die. You just like find them and they just can't get out. <laughs> they get yeah. stuck and then they're going to die and then they die. Like, you find them. You find them in the cave. You, you know, like, you know where your buddy is, but they're just like upside down and they're stuck and they can't fucking get out. And they just you just sit there and your buddy just fucking dies in a cave underground. Like, it's fucking <laughs> It's the worst. Nuts. It's awful. Yeah. It's scary as hell like i was saying about that one guy who got stuck upside down yeah. and they couldn't get him so they had, he had to leave him there and they had to close the cave off and leave a memorial plaque and he's just there because they couldn't get him out yeah. <laughs> anyway then before we move on to the stories the one last thing i want to reference is that dna just to, so to give you an idea of what the professionals because we're not going to revisit the dna next episode i don't plan on talking about bigfoot so i just want to let you know what other people said about that particular port this comes from um the name of the website is skepticalinquire.org, but we're just using quotes from the geneticist that studied the the actual report, not from the author. Of this, this is somebody. Thing. This is somebody who had firsthand. Yes. Yeah. So it says the few. This is the few experienced geneticists who viewed the paper reported a dismal opinion of it, noting it made little sense. The DNA sequences did indeed contain matches of human chromosome eleven, a lot of undetermined DNA, and some that in part matched to other animals. Thus, the whole sequences do not resemble any known animal and are contradictory with evolutionary biology. And a curious side note, the term de novo is used in bioinformatics to, de to designate the absence of a reference genome. Next generation sequencing, NGS technology, was used in the study to read the whole genome, a process that used to be far more time and labor intensive. There are problems with the NG NGS de Nuvo protocols that can lead to poor data quality. We do not know if the results were properly evaluated prior to concluding that the genome data could be used and if the interpretation of the results is reasonable. These factors will likely come into play during the expert external reviews of the paper, which I wasn't able to find anything on. Uh, but basically, it's a it's a mismatch. There's just so much in there and the things that they they put forward, they have no idea if, like, they didn't even give you the preamble if it was bad or, like, the results were poor or not in the first place. It just gave you their conclusion at the end of the study. So, it's all that's to keep in mind. Um, it doesn't really, it's, it's, it's tough because David Paul Ides, from what I've been reading about him and how, these books and stuff, he, he kind of seems to fall into that point where he, I think he truly does believe this stuff is happening, but he's also so deep and it's his job now that he can't really walk away saying if he believes elsewhere, anything else. So, it's hard, you know, just take with what he says in his study with that in mind that, you know, he's not necessarily the most reliable narrator in terms of like what is to be believed. But these missing people stories are true. These are all real missing people cases that we're going to go through and uh, talk about. And um, and then we'll talk, you know, more about maybe the supernatural in the next one. So that is my base. That is the lie out. If there's anything else you boys would like to mention uh, we can we can move forward. Have you heard of Patreon.com slash Chiluminati Pond? Yeah, there's a, there's like a bunch of must missing four one one people over there. Just uh, <laughs> they you know, all showed up. Pay. Yeah, they, they did, that's true. They all did show the up. The aliens they when up. they take them, they drop them off right at the pot. Like we know what place to take you. Patreon.com. Yeah, at the front door. <laughs> at the front door of our Patreon. I saw Nope. By the way. On the porch. I saw Nope. Phenomenal movie. Loved it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I, I really really loved it. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. So the first person we're going to speaking with in the book that we're really pulling these stories from is the North America and the rest, essentially, of the book, the North America focused book. So it's going to be scattered around. Um, and the first story we're going to talk about is by a man by the name of Paul Michael Lemaitre. This was he went missing on September, uh, Jan July 4th, 2012, at around 7 p.m. in Arkansas. He was 66 years old at the point of his disappearance. And um the, the thing to keep in mind is that he was a runner of many marathons. He was a big marathon guy. So he was pretty much, he was pretty in shape for all of this. And by AK, I guess I meant um, Alaska, not Arkansas. Michael LaPierre, uh, he had a, a, had a, he was a runner who disappeared, though it's not, not only unusual, but almost also because he's unheard of. 
Admittedly, that the races that this particular author, David Paul Leedzer, run were along major city streets, so his comparisons are not comparable to rural forest areas. And the disappearance that we're discussing here occurred at one of the oldest races in the world, at a location where they had never before had a fatality or a disappearance, the Mount Marathon in Seward, Alaska. Seward is a port city just 60 miles south of Anchorage, with its primary elevation at sea level. The Mount Marathon is described as follows on the Seward Chamber of Commerce website, quote, Launched in 1915, the three-mile Mount Marathon is a combination run, hike, and scramble up Seward's signature 3,022-foot peak. The race is limited to a, certain, to a certain number of runners that are chosen through a lottery and competitive activities. The race starts in downtown Seward and then heads up the mountain to the summit and then back down again. God, I would be fucking... I can't run down my stairs and back up my stairs without being out of breath. Never mind doing a well, mountain marathon That's why you do podcasts run. and not marathons. Right, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We, we're, we're podcast men. You know, we got, we're podcast boys. We're not marathon One time boys. we did a Final Fantasy marathon. Does that count? Yeah. I wasn't there, so it doesn't count for the podcast. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the site states that minor injuries are common. Major injuries and disappearances are not. The exact length of the course is 3.1 to 3.5 miles, depending on that year's layout. So it can change, I guess. I imagine nature... And, and whatever happened over the years would probably dictate that paths might need to change due to just like sure. un becoming untraversable. I don't Rain really know much shit. about yeah. like that kind of thing. But if I'm wrong, please let me know in the comments or through an email. The average angle of the trail is 38 degrees. The steepest slope is 60 degrees. And the start is at the corner of 4th Ave and Adams Street in downtown Seward. The finish line is at 4th Avenue in Washington. On July 4th, 2012, Paul Michael Lemaitre had done all of the preparation possible for the, for the race of a lifetime. At 66 years old, Paul was in very good shape for his age and was a civilian employee at Joint Base Elman, Elmendorf Richardson. Elmendorf, that's a fucking cool name, by the way. It is. Sounds like an elf that helps yes. the fellowship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds like a boss from Castlevania is what it sounds like. <laughs> he was a counselor who assisted people leaving the military and getting their resumes in order. And he had registered for the Mount Marathon and was, was assigned to bib number 548. Paul had family members at the start line 3 p.m. when the gun went off to begin the race. So people were there. His family was there. Everybody saw he took off at this marathon with all eyes on him. He just wanted to make a respectable run and complete the course in a timely manner. Just as a barometer of how fast this race was can be completed, Fred Moore, who was 72, completed that year's course in one hour, 11 minutes, and 34 seconds. Damn. This was dang. Moore's, and this was Moore's 43rd consecutive race. Good. At 72, hopefully I can get up. Hopefully I can stand up. As the race was taking place, there were a few unusual events that were occurring. In two separate incidents, runners fell in a steep section of the course and were seriously injured. There were very few details about what exactly happened other than the injuries that were listed as serious. This was a very unusual occurrence for the race as the Chamber of Commerce was proud of its history of being a safe race. Paul was wearing black running shorts and a black running shirt. He had poor eyesight and was not wearing glasses the day of the race. From all accounts that were reviewed for the segment, Paul was the last racer on the mountain. A July 9th, 2012 article in the KTUU.com website had this explanation from the last person to see Paul, quote, according to the chamber, a race timing crew stationed up at the top of, of the mountain began its descent at 5.45 p.m. The lead timer, who was not named in the statement, spoke with Peter uh, Lamatier at, its, at about 6 p.m. when he was nearing the mountaintop. The timer had reported that Mr. Lamatier verbally confirmed that he wanted to continue Chamber officials wrote Monday. He looked good and did not demonstrate any sign of distress or physical or emotional concern and was moving slowly and steadily up the mountain. The timer then continued down the, tra uh, the trail. At 6 p.m., a race official spoke to Paul's wife and explained that he had been seen and was fine. They explained that if he wasn't down the mountain in 90 minutes, she should contact the authorities, but they thought he was fine. So I feel like that's mistake one. Right, is that yes. You should not have left... Like. Was that I, I want to know, was that part of procedure to leave this man who was moving slowly behind just because he verbally gave you the OK? Or should you not, for safety's sake, always have somebody behind the last runner? Always like I feel like that's common, common sense. I think it, it's the same premise as in boxing. If the fighter's telling you, 
I can still do this. I can still do this. You as a responsible ring man, uh, corner yep. man, need to be like, no, bro, I'm throwing in the towel. Like you cannot. Your you your brain may, but your body is like bloody and beaten. No, I don't want you dead. And so <laughs> I have a feeling that's the same thing here. That there should be someone to advocate for idiots who are like, yep. I can do this. I can do it. You know. If you're yeah. running through the forest alone, last one in the race, moving slowly, admittedly through the quotes, he was moving slowly up the mountain. Not trying to shift blame on anyone. No. You know, no, nothing like that, but just like, damn, you know? Yeah, that poor guy. So eventually, at 8 p.m., Paul's wife contacted race officials and notified them that Paul still had not come back from the race. So race officials contacted the sewer fire department, who in turn contacted the Alaska State Troopers, and a search was started. Searchers encountered treacherous conditions as they tried to cover every conceivable location where Paul may have wandered. The visibility was horrible at times as fog had hit the mountain. The ground searchers confronted two black bears that ran away from people, but no grizzlies were sighted. There was a dusting of snow near the summit of Mount Marathon that the night that Paul vanished. Searchers carefully examined the area and found no tracks. Alaska State Troopers, quote, hello, uh, hello teams, responded and continually covered the mountain with a fleer. Oh, oh, helicopter team, sorry. Uh, covered the mountain with a fleer and found no evidence of Paul. For those who don't know what a fleer is, it's like a heat, heat camera, checking for heat signatures. The Alaska Mountain Rescue Group covered the mountain on the ground and found nothing related to Paul. And then he goes on, uh, Paul Leeds, the guy, the, the writer of this book, goes on to say, quote, to understand the scope of the search for Paul, the Alaska Dispatch ran an article on July 9th, 2012, explaining who contributed to the effort to find the runner. Hundreds of volunteers have been involved in the rescue operation, including the Alaska Mountain Rescue, Nordic Ski Patrol, Alaska Search and Rescue Dogs, Bear Creek Volunteer Fire Department, National Park Services, Seward Police and Fire Department, the Air National Guard, Alaska State Troopers, and many Seward residents, as well as racers who returned to Seward to help with the search. So they went so they tried. all hands they tried. on deck. Yeah. yeah, they gave it everything that they could to find this man. Do we know the square dog teams mileage or kilometerage of the space they had to look? Uh, they did. Uh, the the they don't. I don't have because if this is the Alaskan wilderness, I would have yeah, to this imagine is the Alaskan wilderness. People get lost in state parks infinitely smaller than that and are never seen from again. I would imagine Correct. this dude in the Alaskan wilderness gone. Just gone. The 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 trail itself, remember, was anywhere between three point one to three point five miles. We know sure, that. Sure, I mean, but that's the trail. But so that's the trail. You have to right. imagine the area really. around it. That's boy, yeah. oh boy. I mean, I don't have that information on hand, and it's not uh, uh, on hand in in the sources I use. But I'm, I wonder if we could get that information. That'd be good to know. What is the what is the name of the park again? Or the area? The, it was in Seward. Yeah. Uh, Bear Creek. Volunt uh, yeah. Right. You're looking Seward, at the Seward. Alaska. I assume after Seward's Folly, I would imagine. The uh, Mount Marathon. You're looking at the Mount Marathon area. So look for that. Mount, Mount Marathon, Marathon in Seward, I Alaska. I absolutely see it. Uh, it, he disappeared on July 4th, 2012. Seward is a small town. It's a big. The airport it takes up as much space as like the downtown of Seward. That's Surrounded crazy. by nature. I mean, it is. It is. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. It is. If I it is one of the more southern parts of Alaska, but it is still if you scroll out all mountains and greenery and yeah. Wow. Yeah. But very much not the uh, like. I don't know, like scenery that I was imagining very much more like long lines of sight, wide mm. open ma mountainsides. You know what I mean? With like scrub. Okay. So not, you know, it's not, I mean, thick it's right wooded, on the, it's but, right on the water. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's on a lake and it's like above and it looks like they're, I mean, here's the thing. If we're talking about cave systems, I could totally see there being a cave here. You know what I mean? Yeah. But sure. Although it's, I'd like what, to what Jesse was saying about like, you're just gone. Like it doesn't really look like it would be that easy to disappear right here like, i it looks completely kind of agree or disagree sorry this like, <laughs> like if you look at this there is there's the city which is on the cape of or whatever it is the gulf of alaska in the northern pacific and then straight up there are you know bear lakes and all sorts of different things but then just miles and miles and miles and miles of just rugged terrain yes it's beautiful and yes you can see but 
I know if you let me there, I would die. I'm, I just know that I would be dead. If, you, if I got lost out there, gone. But I'd find you. You know, you'd be dead, but I'd find you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. You know, I've, I've never been there. I'm looking at like six pictures, but yeah. it's it, I'm, it's pretty vexed. I see how it could be vexing that somebody would just disappear sure. here. Yeah, well, again, I, I'm with you. I, I can see how it could be vexing compared to like, you know, other cases that we talked about where it's just thick woods fucking everywhere. Um, but let's move forward. Uh, still, even in, in on top of all those things that they they did to search, they even put dog teams out there from the Alaska search and rescue dogs to cover the mountain, attempting to find Paul's scent, but nothing of value ended up being found by the canine canine search teams. So to kind of over it, Paul uh, Paul Lemaitre disappeared in an area where there had been hundreds of runners, an area that had a very well marked trail and an overlook near the summit where there can be no mistake in which direction Seward and the finish line is located. The summit area has very little foliage, lots of rock and dirt and boulders. An extremely comprehensive four and a half day search for Paul failed to find him or any evidence that he was on the mountain. Yet we know for a fact that he was 200 feet from the summit at around 545 to 6 p.m. on July 4th. Like my dude summited. You know what I mean? Like he summited. Yeah, yeah he summited. He was at the top. Paul actually saw the direction that the race officials were walking down the mountain. He knew the correct path to take. He was less than two miles from his family and from safety. Uh, how do we know that? How do we know because that? Because he was at the summit of the top. Right, right, and right, it would right. But right like, how do we to... know what he knew or thought at that point? Well, he was just seen and he was there oh, and they I, had I mean, an interaction. So he agreed, saw them go the other way. But how do we like, you know, I mean, there's no way to know that he knew that that was the direction to go, I guess. There's he no way to know, know in his mind. Is what you're saying. Right. I'm just I'm saying. I'm going to assume he knew it before running the marathon. And if he was, if he summited and he saw them going down, I imagine they would have followed I him down I absolutely would imagine that a person in the right state of mind 100% could figure that out. But if you're hurt in any way, like this guy potentially was, just imagine like you're in a car and you have to go to the bathroom really bad. You don't give a shit about anything around you about you're just looking for a bathroom. And if you're hurt, if you have you ever gone for a long walk or something, and you have like, I don't know, like a blister or something and you no longer are focused on anything but like, just oh God, I oh, can't man. even go get my coffee and not feel bad when I have a blister. That's what I'm saying. So like, I don't and I don't know. I don't know what could. Yeah, I. It's it's hard. I agree. It's the the circumstances again, and this tends to be the case with a lot of these missing four one ones. Is that there's always something that you can kind of point to and be like, well, if that didn't happen, he we would likely wouldn't be here. And right. that would be leaving the man behind who is in his late sixties, no matter how good a shape he's in, on a mountain trail alone. When your job is to be a spotter and a timer. Should you not be That's following behind dude. the runner? Yeah. yeah, it's a whole exactly. That's a whole ass dude. And granted, they did the best search that they could. Everybody was involved. Top of the line FLIR technology was being used. They were trying to find this man and they couldn't. But also important to keep in mind is that as the searchers were going forward, they were met with really bad weather, fog, rain, the snow. Canines had a hard time getting a scent on the trail. And it was then confirmed that Paul had poor eyesight. He was the last runner on the trail when he vanished. And while utilizing the FLIR, they couldn't find Paul, even though he stood at a 6'2 and 250 pound frame. Paul wasn't a small man. Oh, it was also snowing then? It snowed after. It, it dusted. It dusted afterward. It did like a snow dusting. So a heat thing would have had trouble finding stuff in snow. Would he not? I, correct me if I'm wrong. Would he not stick out like a sore thumb on FLIR as a warm body amongst many uh, cold? I mean, if he's dead, that's a cold ass body. True. If he is dead, then yeah, he's done. Like if he died what, from exposure. I mean, what are we saying? Like somebody, how fa how soon after was that FLIR? Uh, two days. I mean, he okay. could, he could so be well dead, dead then. Mm -hmm. and He could be. And then it wouldn't pick up anything. Yeah. And this so is are we saying in the 200 feet from the summit that he like fell in a hole? I mean, he could have fallen on his way down the mountain. Possibly he could have fallen anywhere. He could have hurt himself. He, I mean, there's so many things that could happen. Remember, they gave him 90 minutes to get back. So I assume they expected it was still going to be a heck of a, a ghost. It takes they gave him seconds minutes. for trouble to happen. So mm -hmm. you know, if he has trouble seeing and he's potentially hurt in some way, he's having struggles and he has to get back down. Sometimes going down the mountain is a little bit harder than going up. Because you have to like balance yourself a little, because you know it's steep, and so 
you know, he's not a young guy where he can just run down. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But that's that's right. That's it. That's that's what we, I want. You know, I don't know. Like, there's enough there to say they definitely were in the wrong and they definitely contributed to his disappearance. But the circumstances, the landscape around it, them, you know, breaking out everything and they couldn't find him. And this man was like, you know, not an, uh, a stranger to marathon running. It's weird. It's very, very weird. But anything can happen in the wilderness, too. Like he literally could have fallen into a fucking hole. He could have hurt or twisted his ankle and then a fucking tiger like a mountain lion took him out or something after, you know, at, at night or something. Who knows? But no one heard him screaming for help. But can he you wasn't really that hear far him? away from town. He was I, I mean, again, he was about two miles out. You can see town from the summit and it's close. Yeah. Yep. So that's our first story. Just to leave it out there a little bit. Of, hmm, I can see it both ways. I can see it both ways. Next up, we're going to talk about a woman who went missing in 1966, a woman by the name of Amy Jackson, who disappeared in Deer Creek Campgrounds in Sequoia National Park. She was 18 months old at the time of her disappearance. She was barely over a year old. So Amy Jackson and her parents traveled from their residence in Upland, California, to the Deer Creek Campgrounds in Sequoia National Park for a weekend of camping. The family arrived on Saturday, August 13th and quickly established camp. After the family had eaten and relaxed, they entered their tent and went to sleep. Sometime during the night, little Amy left her parents' tent without being heard and somehow walked out into the darkness. Her parents didn't hear her leave the tent, and they had no explanation how she could have done this. The National Park police were called, and they quickly sent out bloodhounds and aerial support to look for Amy. We're pretty sure the searchers were probably thinking, like, uh, what the researchers were told on this case. How far could an 18-month-old really walk out into the mountains? But I want to put out there an 18-month-old child to any wildlife probably looks like a delicious snack. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the first day of searching, commanders were so disturbed by not finding any evidence of where the girl was located and the bloodhound's inability to pick up a scent that the National Park Service didn't call their own special agents and they called the FBI for assistance instead. The FBI summoned additional helicopters, ground searchers, equestrians, and volunteers, all looking for this young girl. The search and rescue was occurring approximately 25 miles east of Porterville at the 7,000-foot elevation. The Tulare County Sheriff had also asked the FBI for assistance as they couldn't find a trace of the girl, and the story the parents continued to tell seemed implausible at the time. Three years later, almost the same scenario would play out again again in the same park, uh, Pauline's notes. Imagine almost 400 searchers scouring the campsite and surrounding area and not finding a single trace of an 18-month-old girl. I Again, I in my note here is if she got, if she left in the middle of the night, that's when fucking predators are out. You know what I mean? Anything could yeah. quickly scoop her by the neck. And, you know, it's, it's an awful thought to think. And I'm not saying that, you know, I hope this is what happened. But if anything grabbed this girl by the neck, she's not going to make a noise and she's going to be carried off to wherever the hell the animal's going to take yeah. her. Um, it's a little it's a little creature, you know, yes. unfortunately. Law enforcement, regardless, remained perplexed. On the fourth day of the search, a Kern County special rescue team made a disturbing discovery, as is explained in the August 18th, 1966 article in the Arizona Republic. Quote, a crack Kern County special rescue team found the 18-month-old girl's body at the base of a large rock uphill from the Deer Creek campground. The same article also states, quote, the body of little Amy Jackson was found yesterday, about eight tenths of a mile from where she disappeared four days earlier at a campground in the rugged Sierras north of here. Now, you probably understand why the Kern County Sheriff had called the FBI. A little 18-month-old girl disappears at night from a tent, searches and bloodhounds find nothing, and the family states they never heard her leave. That's immediately very, very, very suspicious. The search right. is probably covering everything downhill because that's where 90% of all children go when they are missing. I don't Babies tumble that, down. It's like water. You know, yeah, exactly. One misstep and she's going to go downhill. Yeah. I don't. Uh, Paul Leeds doesn't believe that anyone truly believed a young girl as young as Amy could walk uphill that far in a rugged region in the middle of the night at that elevation with chilly temperatures. Now, where do you boys stand on that idea that an 18 month old wandered uphill and it seems like without capable, being carried how up there by an animal. How capable is this kid? That's a good question. 18 months old, like you're not super capable, but you can walk. You know, maybe. A lot can walk, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised 
if a kid could not even do a mile. That, I think that I mean you have to imagine young kids can do all sorts of insane things, and so I, you know, you see footage of kids like parkouring out of their crib and stuff. So I mean, yeah, true, it's, true, very true. I, I can see how it is possible. Do I think it is sure. likely? No. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. But again, all this, the conceit of all of this is we are saying, here's a bunch of missing people. They disappeared in really crazy, weird ways. And then the logical leap then is like, they were taken. Something terrible has mm. happened. This is, there's a, lot there's of a conspiracy potential. afoot. And it's like, Maybe, or just some really awful luck. Maybe, I, I don't know. And I feel like that's where this is all leading. It's like these crazy people disappeared, and that's because the government kidnapped them for experiments with Bigfoots and aliens. It's like, okay, okay. all right. There's a, we'll talk more about that next episode for sure, but there is there are multiple beliefs uh, that it might be some sort of unknown creature, could be government abducting its own civilians. It could be weird steps into dimensional rips that, that teleport you that halfway across the like, mountain. I know, like a well, bonkers again, leap. All right, I know that's not where we're supposed to be today, Jesse, but it's like mind open. Uh, oh, all right, you're right. You're right. Eye. Like Doctor Strange, open the third eye. Right. Take the makeup remover onto your forehead and remove the little skin cover <laughs> that you use for your third eye. Thank you. Thank Let you. Let it open right up. Thank you very much. He's doing yeah, it. it's working right now. It's uh, freaking me out. Yeah. I like it. I didn't realize your third eye was purple. It's a it's contact beautiful. lens. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, yes. that's cool. I'm jealous. And, I'm yes, very jealous. And I would like to talk to your optometrist, mystical optometrist, <laughs> because I'm looking for one sunglass. <laughs> one Singular whole sunglass? sunglass? Yes. And I am, okay, I got to stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to move forward. So one of the implications that the FBI put forward is that she may have even actually climbed a little higher and fell off of the boulder that she was found at the base of, implying and then moving further that she died from exposure after perhaps knocking herself out or becoming severely injured. And many of the articles that Pauline says he reviewed stated that the sheriff believed that the girl may have even been kidnapped, which is why they called the FBI in the first place. And maybe she was. Uh, several other articles stated that a three-mile radius around the camp had been searched prior to finding uh, the finding of the body, and nothing suspicious was found, a typical result on many of these cases that are considered missing 411 adjacent. It would be useless to file a Freedom of Information Act request with the FBI regarding this case, Paulides claims, since they never release any information on an open case, and this, at least the time of this writing, remained open. In his past missing 411 books, Paulides claims that he'd repeatedly stated that the uh, the FBI had a very large filing cabinet with cases that feature unusual circumstances and unusual findings, as in this case. Well, I watched that and show. And honestly, I, yeah, not only is it the X-Files, but also I would believe that. I mean, we've learned how many times that they've denied UFO government agencies and then that came forward. If they had just a file of like weird disappearances, yeah, I would totally 100% buy that. That would not surprise me at all. Um, local literally? Like, are we talking literally? Literally, I would not be surprised if they literally like a had... a physical room with, like, just like a... Maybe not necessarily like a physical room, room, but just like un, like cases that they just don't have an explanation for. Miscellaneous or what so have you. So, literally uh, the X-Files. No, god damn it, no. What I just think that's it, what you're describing. That's the premise of the show. I guess, I guess. I gotta be, I gotta come forward. I've never seen the X-Files. So. What? In the absolute I, gotta, I guess this is where I've been cornered. Are you kidding me? I have to come forward with the truth. I've never seen it. You don't know which one of us is the Mulder and which one of us is the Scully of LA? I, I Scully is the girl, right? And she's the most skeptical. <laughs> yes. All right, I got it. Yes. Ah! My chair just broke. I almost fell backwards onto the ground. Did you do that I'm with your mind powers? So sorry. So sorry. It's I gotta watch it. You I have it's lost something I've always been meaning credibility to watch. with everyone listening right now. You right, haven't Dean, seen you any edit of this? this whole part out, Dean. I need you, you to edit this part out. Any other, I have any? seen it in Dean. I've seen an episode, and well, I think I've seen an episode because I had Don't a memory hide it from people, Dean. Of, Don't do it. 
<laughs> he thinks he has a memory? No, I have a memory of a man sitting in the back of the car surrounded by like cigarette Ooh, smoke. Cigarette smoking man. Yeah, 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 yeah but okay. I don't know anything about it. Right. It's like a weird. Were you playing Mass Effect? Were you playing Mass Effect? <laughs> no, but I have played same, Mass yeah. Effect. <laughs> like, so. Okay, all right. All right. It's confirmed. Uh, Rotten Popcorn, X-Files, it's happening. But that, okay, but back, to, back to the topic. That's about all we know of the disappearance of this young girl. The local police and local law enforcement to this day still believe that it was an, an act of kidnapping and, and potentially something nefarious happening. But with lack of evidence and no reason to suspect anything else, it's basically gone down as a potential death from exposure after she wandered off into the wilderness in the middle of the night. But we yeah, won't it's know. It's crazy that they think kidnapping. I would just imagine nature yeah i i think i'm with you on that it's hard this is another weird one because again wandering uphill is also kind of fucking weird and uh for for a barely one year old you know a little over one years old you got to remember she's not that old um but still you know man it, it's weird so i will concede in both of these situations that it's a bit like there's some element of it that makes me go huh yeah right like I will say that, but I believe that the thing that's really going to take my third eye from like open to like maybe I got four eyes somehow. I don't know how the eye thing works, <laughs> but nerd. The thing that will take me to the next level is if the metadata is very convincing. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm starting to like realize is like this alone is like a slightly mysterious disappearance. Something with the running guy, like slightly mysterious disappearance like that is somewhat run of the mill, right. right? But is also a little bit like looking at the pictures, right? I'm a little surprised, right? Mm -hmm. Like that makes me go, oh, wow, it's really, you can really see yeah. far from the I summit. I want to put forward that while taking at, you know, taking these stories on their face value, I agree. Almost, you know, majority of the ones I read anyway, all I feel like can be pointed at something relatively natural happening. What David Paulides and a lot of the people who, you know, follow Missing 411 posit is what we're ignoring is there's a pattern. And now we'll, that's, yeah, that's we'll what talk I'm saying. about the yeah. pattern more next episode because there's multiple patterns I'd like to talk about from the missing, you know, from the caves across America to the government bases and whatnot. But their other patterns that they talk about are things that we've actually discussed in the past in terms of numerology. They say the person with the first letter S went missing on the same month at the same time in the same park as this person with the first name of letter S and it matches. And if you just go through, Woo. but that's hard to kind yeah. of, again, that's hard to really posit in my opinion, posit forward as an actual like pattern when you have so that's many missing swallow, people yeah. going every single year that of course, if you go looking for a pattern, your brain, the human brain is consistently looking for patterns all the time. Um, so that's mm. not enough for me to believe but it is something we will talk about in the next episode so you really have an idea where they're coming from. Well, while I realize we're also already at an hour here, we'll just do one more story before we move on and uh, end this episode with a new fresh reminder as to how the missing 401 cases go. This is the, the disappearance of a young boy by the name of Lawrence Sullivan who went missing on October 16th uh, at 11 a.m. in Round Mountain, Nevada. At Again, he was three years old. The location of this disappearance Man. is Mount Jefferson in the Toyabee National Forest, just seven miles northeast of Round Mountain, Nevada. A lot of missing little kids. A lot of little kids that go missing. Yeah. Round Mountain is located 150 miles southeast of Reno, has a population of just less than 2,000, and is in the middle of the Nevada desert. Mount Jefferson is located on a small mountain range that rises to an elevation of 11,900 feet with areas of heavy foliage and large trees. On October 16th, 1930, Lawrence Sullivan was riding with his uncle, John Sullivan, on a small trip for his uncle to examine a potential prospecting site in Jefferson Canyon. They were driving from Lawrence's residence in Manhattan, just south of Round Mountain. John was a gold miner and inspecting an area up the canyon near the 7,600-foot elevation point where the road stopped. John parked the car and told Lawrence to stay inside as he hiked the small hill and examined the site. Again, we can kind of point to this as maybe the mistake that he made by leaving a three-year-old inside a car at the uh, 1930s. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a pretty um, big mistake. John reported that he walked to the top of the hill, looked back, and waved at Lawrence, and then went to the other side. John returned to the car after a short inspection of the site and found Lawrence wasn't inside. A search was made of the surrounding area. There wasn't a lot of large timber in the immediate area, but he didn't see the boy. John left the area to obtain more assistance. 
Now you should take note of something important. Lawrence knew exactly where his uncle was at. He looked at him and waved, by conf confirmed by his uncle. The boy knew what direction to walk him if his intent was to leave and find him. The area where Lawrence vanished is very rugged in parts, and he vanished in a valley surrounded by steep mountains. So again, I point, want to point this out and kind of highlight this, that if he just decided not to wander in the right direction, all it would have taken was a tumble. Searches from Tonop of Manhattan and Round Mountain, along with sheriff's deputies and soldiers, all assisted in the effort to find Lawrence. Searchers initially were looking up the valley and downhill, and they found nothing. One searcher went slightly up a northern valley and found Lawrence's cap, an unusual find as it was uphill from the vehicle. Volunteers and deputies continued to comb the valleys where they had found the cap and still found nothing. It was during this entire event that John, searchers, and family were consistently yelling Lawrence's name and calling for him and not receiving a response. There was wild speculation in the community and newspaper at the time. It was actually printed that some felt an eagle may have taken Lawrence as they found a, his cap in a canyon, <laughs> as they found his, the cap in a canyon a mile away from the car, but they hadn't found tracks. So yeah, they, they, they just decided, assumed, I guess, an, an eagle swooped down for a free meal and took the three-year-old away. It's a lot of stuff happening concurrently with each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> I must stress this since this is our last one. The likelihood of an eagle is as likely as any other insane thing mm -hmm. that you can think up. And I think that's what makes these so believable and easy to get into the mystery behind a it. A three-year-old is a big boy. Agreed. That's a big boy for an eagle. Uh, uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you can buy into an eagle... Then you can easily buy into the idea that more something more nefarious or like because you just said fair. an eagle, yeah, fair. That's the that boy's too big for an eagle. It must be something else, and then that's how you can get off onto all sorts of crazy things. Yeah. Um. Again, the cap was found in an uh, an alley like a mile away from where they were found. Um. And past the cap, they did actually find small footprints. Bloodhounds had supposedly tracked the boy up a canyon and then suddenly lost all tracks. Searchers were upset and nervous about not finding Lawrence and summoned the assistance of a local Native American tracker. On October 20th, 1930, art, uh, an article in the Reno Evening Gazette had the following description of the search. Quote, Oscar Mike, Indian tracker, picked up the trail where others said it had been lost and it was believed that a mountain lion might have seized the wanderer and followed it up a precipitous cliff forming the walls of the canyon towering 500 feet high. The trail led up the face of this almost impassable wall to a beach or, uh, or shelf scarcely wide enough for an eagle's nest. You should have, well, now we should keep the perspective that this was a highly dangerous place for searchers, dangerous to the extent that they were using climbing ropes for their safety, and the tracker stated that the boy had traveled through this area. It was at this point that the first full day of tracking by the Native American ended, and the second day brought a surprise. The same Reno Evening Gazette article had the following, quote, the final dash was up a steep, narrow draw extending a few hundred yards from the main canyon. Joe Clifford was leading in the finishing sprint. The article has further descriptions about the dangers of the area and then finishes as follows. Quote, At last, the overhanging, gnarled limb of the mountain mahogany barred the trail sheltering the baby who was curled up under one protruding bow as an ox yoke circles the neck of, uh, of a steer. Man, in the 30s language is wild. Oh, God. <laughs> Did Ernest Hemingway write this shit? What the right? fuck? Jesus. <laughs> Searchers stated that any sudden movement by the boy could have broken his neck, but that he was asleep when found. He awoke when searchers started to prod him. The boy was found at 6.30 p.m. Lawrence had scraped knees, torn clothing, and scratches all over his body. He was slowly taken off the mountain to a hospital where he fully recovered. Not one of the dozen newspapers I reviewed for this, uh, that Paul Eads rather had reviewed for this story, had one mention of about Lawrence making a statement about ever what happened to him. And that's kind of where the mystery lies. Uh, the Gazette has one more quote saying, the most remarkable thing of the entire affair, according to Dr. MacLeod and, and others, is that the boy survived the bitter cold nights as the temperature dropped to nearly zero. At the point where the child was found, the elevation is nearly 9,000 feet, according to estimates made by the United States Survey Office in Reno. So they found him. It was the one where he disappears, a three-year-old disappears, and is found over a mile away, 9,000 feet high, curled up in a ball, still alive. How much How, how much time has gone by? Four days, I want to say it was. That. Let, me, let me see if I can find that. I mean, it's possible for a kid to wander over four days a mile away. 
Uh, let's see, the 16th to the 18th, so two days. I can see it happening in two days, but it's less, it becomes less and less likely the shorter amount of time that, but I mean, like, I could wander a mile and not even mean it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not True. that far. The fact that he survived is, is also, like, super cool and super unique that he was able to do it. I mean, it. that's, I'm glad he, he I wonder, survived. I just, it's just. I wonder what, it, what happened. You know, again, he was three, so I wonder if the memory is even there. But it's a bummer that we never got an interview with this guy, like what happened, how it went down or or any of that stuff. Um, it just it's just I wonder what happened. I mean, the fact that he had no animal marks means, no, he wasn't at least carried away by something. There was no claw marks or bite marks. That's probably and, why he's alive. Yeah, exactly. It's just interesting. It's another one of those things where just like weirdly disappeared and weirdly found in an area that a three year old would have a very hard time getting to. Um, again, yeah. not impossible, but that's about that. And that, gentlemen, is where I'm going to lay the stories down. We could keep going God. through little stories, but I think this is a nice, like, lukewarm dip back into familiar territory before we do something a little bit different than we did in episode two. Give us last a hint. What's coming, what's coming up? Well, I kind of gave you a hint a little bit. We'll probably do one or two more stories just to, as a refresh, but we're going to go through what the, um, the uh, missing 411 beliefs are, what they think is actually going on here in terms of conspiracy, potentially paranormal or interdimensional. And then I want to talk about the, the new information that's come out since the years that we've done it and what has been released since, and maybe talk a little bit about the documentaries. I still have one more I need to watch, so I want to watch that before this have week you, uh, and next. Do you have a total number of missing people? Have you said that before? I think you did, no, but I can't remember. No, he's just like out of his books? Just like in like the missing people in the forests that we have no sign of. I think it's thousands a year. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I know it's very, very uh, high. 1,600 individuals go missing into the United States National Parks every year. Huh, okay. There you go. We will return to this next week, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to return to the world of missing uh, 411 after some time uh, away from it. And it should be a lot of fun to dive even further next week. We're off to do a Minnesota over at patreon.com slash Pod, as Alex has finally put it, a website. We leave, love you guys. It is the website uh, that I like to go to good enough see you there next week bye guys <laughs> <laughs> anyway me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night enjoying ourselves i needed to go to the bathroom so i stepped back inside and after a few moments i hear my wife go holy shit get out here so i quickly dash back outside and she's looking up at the sky in awe i look up too and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky 